just a little bit afraid to have you hear my voice. What an awesome, awesome moment we just had here. Amen? So thankful. Uh, I I pray that you're making plans to be back here uh, this evening and not only here Taranda, but our whole team. But uh, what an amazing way to honor our Savior. Uh, That music was powerful this morning. got to take a deep uh, cleansing breath here real quick. Isn't it awesome how music can move us? We've got to be reminded that uh, worship encompasses uh, both music and the Word. The Word reminds us of what is true, but when we can sing like that, well, I should say when someone can sing like that <laughs> and we can listen to it, man, what it does for our soul just to reflect on those truths and let them take seat. Um, this morning, I've been given the challenge and the opportunity to remind us that this is our, our kickoff weekend, but this isn't the only weekend that matters, right? We have, uh, we have so much this year that we desire to participate in together with you, and it is our prayer that uh, your heart will be one of participation, we have a lot of exciting things uh, that have been shared, a lot of things that um, uh, you heard Pete unpack for you this morning. Um, we had a successful mission season. Uh, we had a, a great crew of people that went out and served the Lord, sharing the gospel, but also found fellowship together as they did that. Aren't you thankful for that? That was an exciting thing. Yeah. We also uh, have our first ever Made to Minister conference coming up here in October. Uh, It is going to be an opportunity for us to learn how we can minister to one another. Um, What we are committed to, having our church and everybody that we run into understand is this. Ministry to individuals is not just for experts. Is that true? Every single one of us was made to minister to the person sitting next to us, to the person we run into at the grocery store, wherever you go, you were made to minister to those folks. And if you don't believe that, you need to come to the conference and find out how is it that I can every single day make sure that I'm not just sharing my faith, but I'm living it in a way that is a blessing to other people. It's not enough for you to be right. In fact, I would say that's a problem. For a lot of Christians, right? They spend a lot of time being right, not enough time being the right person to those people that are around. How can you minister to other people? You got an opportunity to, to do that. And this is actually, uh, Carl and Laura have put together such an amazing uh, set of materials that uh, they have recognition on the national stage. We have uh, outside groups that are coming in to share with us that have recognized what is going on here and are saying, we want this to be a part of what we're doing nationally. This is an exciting season. Uh, Most Excellent Way, when we hear about what is happening with Most Excellent Way and with Be Bold Ministry, two ministries that uh, are from Salem Heights or housed here at Salem Heights, they are impacting our city in a spectacular way. Do you agree with that? How thankful are you for those guys, right? And I praise God that we have a section where it's easy to identify some of our good friends, right? Our amen crew, uh, how you guys have blessed us, by the way. We love you guys. 
But, uh, but do you know that sitting throughout this entire auditorium this morning are people who at one time were in prison, people who at one time were addicted to drugs or alcohol or some other thing that had controlled their life, people who at one time did not have control over their next decision. They were allowing that control to be given over to a substance or an individual or something else, and now they are set free. They're set free. And what you find out here is everybody in here has had to be set free from something. Amen? All of you, all of you were set free from something. And so now what we do is we keep repeating over and over again the words of Corinthians where it says that, that we have this message from Christ to all of you ambassadors. You're supposed to run out and tell the world that Jesus Christ is not counting their wickedness, their sins against them. You've been set free. It's all completely wiped clean. And in that freedom, you can now act differently, live differently, experience life differently. You can have abundant life because of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're supposed to run out and tell others. These guys are just setting the pace car. All right? Well, we got a whole bunch of champions running around here who have experienced the same thing. We need to find a way to loosen our tongues and make our lives reflect that. Our children's ministry is having a little bit of a growth spurt. Okay? Now, this is a response because you guys have been doing your part, all right? And now we've got to do uh, ours. So we continue to see uh, amazing things happen in children's ministry, but uh, as we're reflecting on things, we want to recommit. We've been committed, but we want to recommit to the centrality of the Word, to making sure that our kids understand Scripture, uh, to making sure that they are being discipled, but also to empower parents to be the primary discipler of their children. We're trying to build it right into the name of the ministry. You are called to disciple your kids so they will not forget why is it that we call ourselves Christians. Not just what are we against, but what has filled my soul so I'm so transformed I wouldn't go back. And our prayer is that we'll be a blessing to you in such a way that you will teach your kids, that we'll be able to give you effective tools. And we brought in people to help us uh, continue to do that. We got new ways to connect this year, uh, in addition to fundamentals of the faith or small groups, if you're brand new to our church, we're trying to find ways to add uh, barbecues and uh, events where you can come in, meet Salem Hiders, but also meet all of our, our leaders. Uh, but also, we become aware that uh, there are some needs that we can't tackle on a Sunday morning, and in particular, shepherding needs where there are concerns sitting in our auditorium or among our people on a weekly basis where we just need to be able to have a dialogue and say, what is it not only that we believe, but how do we live that out in a world that's increasingly hostile? And so we're going to take four different midweek opportunities. We'll put those up for you guys where we actually are going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about uh, some of these things that are really oppressive. We're going to talk about politics, all right? Not on Sunday morning, because some of you all wouldn't make it, okay? But we're going to walk through. How can you be committed and involved, but not make that your God? And what is the sign that it's become your God? Interested? If not, we can keep going. But I want you to sign up and be a part of that. I want you to come in and uh, discuss with us. And then if you have questions, we're just going to open it up. We're going to give a full hour each time 
to just answering questions that are in the room about uh, how do we as believers, first of all, understand what God has said, and then how do we graciously live that out? So it's not about being right. Once again, it's about being effective in a world that's defective. How do we bless the broken? We want you to be excited about this year. We want you to be proud of what is going on this year. We want you to be involved this year. But I want you to hear me very, very carefully. We do not want you to be indulged. This isn't so that you will just be happy, come in and sit, soak, and sour, all right? We've seen enough of that in Christianity. I don't want you to just have some information so that you will eventually be right. We're not here to win an argument. We're here to live out the gospel. And our entire goal during the course of this year, and you'll see it in multiple ministries, you're going to hear it from up front over and over again. We want to invest extra time into understanding what it means, according to Scripture, what it means to be a selfless servant. What does it mean to let go of you? Now, you might just say, hey, those are great words. I like that. You might not by the end of our discussion, okay? If you look up what it means to be selfless and you tick off the signs of selflessness that are given and then you compare them to your life, would everyone in your life say, oh, yes, they are selfless? Are you a servant? In other words, do you on each occasion consider somebody else's needs greater than your own? Do you say, not my will, but yours? Now, we say that we say that to the Lord, but if that's the case, we are saying it to the people around us first. Instead of serving our needs, we're serving theirs and the Lord's. This is what we want to talk about this morning. I want you to look at 1 Peter We were there a couple of weeks ago. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. Let's just stand as we read this portion of Scripture together. Peter here is speaking to a group of people who are embattled. They have been suffering. And he reminds them of their calling. And he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, those are always important words, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Aren't you thankful for that? Beloved, I urge you, he says, I beg you, as aliens and strangers, abstain from from the fleshly lust which will wage war against your soul and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, i.e. among non-believers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is an important call to us this morning. Do you agree? You may be seated. Father, as we look at this passage, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be able to understand what Peter is saying, but also what it is that you are calling us to 
In this day, in this hour, in this place, we ask that you would help us to be known as the people of God that are energized by your spirit to reach a broken world, that are energized by your spirit to live out the gospel in our homes, in our churches, in our relationships. Father, we pray that you would help us to be acting every single day as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, as those people who are called by you to be a people we once were nothing now we're a part of you. Help us to live that out. Help us to understand what it means to be selfless servants. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Daniel M. writes, In my experience pastoring, leading, and consulting with churches, I've discovered that when you focus on developing mature disciples, you do not necessarily find yourself with an army of missionaries. However, when you focus on developing missionary disciples, you'll always get mature disciples. I'm not talking about training up overseas missionaries here, nor am I advocating that you ask everyone to quit their job and become full-time pastors. I'm using the word missionary as a noun, referring to people who see their primary vocation as being sent on God's mission rather than their own. I'm specifically talking about helping ordinary people understand that all of their life is about mission. In 1 Peter 2, the great leader pleads with believers to selflessly serve, having their attention focused on heaven and earth. Success in their mission will require dynamic tension. Now, there's a central question that we're going to be looking at through the course of the year, and that is this. What lifestyle will be most pleasing to God, personally satisfying, and persuasive to the world. All three. What lifestyle will be the most pleasing to God, personally satisfying, and persuasive to the world? And the answer, according to Peter, is a life of selfless service. Remember that this is what it is that those that are on the outside will someday reflect back to God and that day that they see him face to face. Now, now, I want you to understand that there is a conflict that starts from the very moment that Christ is raised from the grave and believers are called to worship, and that is that we are a bunch of people that are focused on our individual lives that need to be welded and melded into a group that thinks together about others, people other than ourselves. The problems that you see the apostles and the early church run into is, is exactly those moments where they begin to think about themselves before they think about others. And Peter here, who has failed in this department a few times uh, and had the, the ability to have that written down. Can you imagine if somebody just wrote down your mistakes? Now, some of you may have somebody sitting near you or, or, or in your family that is a good record of your mistakes if you don't know of them, all right? God willing, that just disappears later. But can you imagine if they were written out and everyone went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's who they are. <laughs> Peter had that. And he says, I want to tell you what it is that I've discovered, what it is that the Lord has told me I should be about. We live highly independent lives. In fact, I would challenge you to, to find any other ethos that runs the American mindset. We are focused on independent fulfillment, individual fulfillment. We are focused on what will make our life the best, what will make me comfortable, what fits with the way I think, what it is that will, will surround me with the things that I want to participate in. 
Um, we choose everything based on that. Our technology reflects it. We have the iPhone, right? Our technology is set up so that you don't have to just have a phone, that everybody else has the same apps in the same position on there, right? Somebody next to you might have a shopping app on the front. You might have a fishing or hunting app on the front of yours. Somebody else will have sports. Somebody will have business or some other technology app. You will have things right there at your first click that you say, these are the things that I want to spend time reflecting on. And I have set my screen so that it reflects my personal proclivities. We are individuals. And we have everything in our life set up so that our touch, our first touch, is intuitively about what we want to connect with. Sexuality. It has been now described as the way to self-fulfillment. Is that the Bible's understanding of sexuality? Can you describe the difference between what our world thinks of sexuality and what Scripture says of sexuality without only using negative terms? It's in what we ingest. We used to have discussions about gray areas. Now all of the discussions start with, are you a Pharisee? That's kind of like starting every discussion with, does your mother know you're stupid, right? (laughs) Well, no, I'm not. Okay, well, then you're going to agree with me, right? We have, uh, we have now focused on, and, and Oregon is going to be a test case, right? We've become a test case for the nation. What is it that we can ingest? What is our personal fulfillment requiring us to take in? It has no account for how will this impact others or how will this take me out of the positive influence of other people's lives? Do you know that when you focus on yourself for what you put in your body and what you're participating in, that you actually can take yourself out of the running of being a positive influence in other people's lives? Some of you say, I willingly check out. This is about my fulfillment. And when I'm ready to engage, I'll engage. But that's not how Scripture describes your life. If your life is not your own, then you've been given to the people around them as a blessing. You have skills and a set of influences uh, that only they can get from you. What are you doing to pull yourself out of that? We've done it in our worship. I have a question for you. Are you called here? Are you called? How would you know? If your decision says, because I like it, I want you to reflect. Are you called to serve here? Are you called to give yourself? You know, When your mom bakes a bad turkey on Thanksgiving, you don't say, that's it, I'm getting a new family. (laughs) That was horrible, man. Mashed potatoes, so many lumps. That meal was devastating. You don't do that. You're like, yeah, you know what? Next year I might help mom in the kitchen. (laughs) But you invest. Bad couple of meals, still my family. Is this the place you've been called to serve, connect, and give yourself to? Not, is this making me happy? The result is we become unhappy. We wonder if life has any meaning. In fact, there's a term that's been coined, sologamy, where we're actually focused on ourselves to the point that we would marry ourselves. You think that's crazy? In Italy, it just happened again. A gal marries herself, invites bridesmaids to come and walk down the aisle with her through the ceremony. He has a three-tiered cake and 70 guests all cheering this on. 
And it's a part of a package deal that's become so common that they sell it, not only in Italy, it started in Japan, it's been in Canada, it's in the United States, and people can buy cakes. It's actually part of the display that says, I married me. Now this used to be a joke, right? You love yourself so much you'd marry yourself. Now it actually is a reality. If you love yourself so much, why don't you go marry yourself? And somebody said, okay. Will you come? Bring gifts. How do you register for a sologamy party, right? I don't know. There's a tension. There's a beautiful tension this morning, and the question in your mind is, will you finish the notes before 1015? <laughs> I, I do want you to get this tension. I want you to see what is going on here. Because, see, uh, in this passage, the indication is that we have a world that will be looking directly at you and how you live out what you say you believe. You say you're a Christian. What difference does that make? What is it in your life that is fundamentally different from the world? How is it that you spend your days that is any different from their pursuit of happiness and self-fulfillment and self-realization? Is your life better? You, you might say, I'm a selfless servant, but you might say it like, ah, oh, I'm supposed to serve. See, the indication of Scripture is that the greatest joy that you can have is when you forget yourself and you lose yourself in the blessing of others. That that actually is the path to fulfillment. The world is impacted by service. Look at verse 12 here. It says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that, there's that word again, in the thing in which they slander you. That's your beliefs and ideas. They slander you as evildoers. They might, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The world is most impacted by service. Now, I need you to understand something. We need to always preach the gospel. They need to hear it from our mouths, right? But we have a world that has grown increasingly tired of rhetoric. I have a, a couple of things to back that up. I'm just going to share this thought with you, and I'll have you look it up on your own. The word tired majority, it's actually a phrase that has been coined right now. It's the tired majority in the United States, and what they have noticed is there is such a division in the rank and file over politics and the rancor of politics. It is filled up, not just political news stations, but it hits everything that we are touching. There was a point in the late 80s where 90% of all of the news organizations were owned by 50 different entities, 50 different entities with 50 different voices. We are now in a day and age where 90% of all the news that you're going to hear is owned by six companies that fall into two categories. The voices shrunk. CNN and Fox are going to talk about Trump every single day. Does anybody doubt that? And you're either going to be angry or stirred up or defensive about that. You each have your, your statements and the, the, the riling up that happens. But are you aware, as loud as those voices are, that CNN and Fox, with all of the people that are listening to them, only represent 2% of the United States? Two for both of them. Now, that's two really loud voices, and we've all heard that guy in the stadium, right? Somebody that can shout out his opinion really quickly, but here it is. The rest of the masses are a little more nuanced. 
do you know that the majority of the United States thinks there are good ideas coming from both camps that are getting smothered by all the other rhetoric and anger and they're concerned that we're not able to move forward? It's quite possible that you in here are part of the tired majority where you hear rhetoric and rhetoric and rhetoric, but who is really changing anything for the better? Julian the Apostate had an opinion of Christianity. He was uh, an emperor in Rome that was concerned because the old gods had been lost. In fact, he considered Christians atheists because they didn't just accept all of the gods. They're only focused on one. Writing in the fourth century, one author says he regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from all of the Roman gods and what they would do for Rome. He says the Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care and the burial of the dead. It is a scandal, he says, that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar, that the godless Galileans, that's what he called Christians, because they wouldn't accept all the other gods. The godless Galileans care not, for their, not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should be rendering them. One other author records him as saying, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well. They welcome them into their agape or into their love. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. While pagan priests neglect the poor, the Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. And by a display of compassion, they have established and given effect to their pernicious errors. In other words, everyone likes being a Christian because Christians love other people and take care of the broken. See their love feasts, their tables that are spread for the indigent? Such practices are common among them. Our gods cannot stand up to that, he says. What is it that allowed the gospel to go forward so that they would hear the words coming? It wasn't shouting on a news station. It wasn't putting up billboards. They didn't go out in front of Nero's place of residence with signs saying, follow us. You know what they did? They went about the business of living like Christians in a broken world and said, hey, do whatever you're going to do. We're going to love this person and that person and that person and all the people you would cast out. And our people are going to be so blessed to do that. It's going to fill up their lives. And by the way, your own people are going to look at that and say, that is a better way to live. How did it take over all of Rome? How did it take over the known world at the time? Because Christians were living out the gospel rather than being their voice first. What they did and how they acted gave truth to the gospel. This is different from how we believe. To succeed as selfless servants, we believers must accept there's a tension, though. And by the way, tension is valuable when it's proper. Does anybody remember uh, Galloping Gertie? Uh, the bridge, this is an actual picture of the sway in the bridge. Uh, that's when the, basically, uh, here's the dumbest version of this, all right? When rigid forces and soft forces weren't properly accounted for in the engineering, the bridge would collapse. Look at that. It, it seems like a metaphor for politics today, isn't it? <laughs> what happens when we don't have an account? Here it is. It's, it's important. What about uh, Boeing? Here's a picture of how the plane is supposed to be able to flex. All right? 
Looks like a goose, right? That's supposed to be normally a flat wing plane, but this is how it's supposed to. Uh, the next picture shows actually the tests you can see of an actual plane where they're putting pressure on the wings to see if they in fact will bend that far before they will snap. Now at the beginning of flight, they actually tried to go as rigid as possible, and what they found out was the wings would fly on their own, but they would leave the body of the plane <laughs> descending. Being rigid is not good in that situation. Too soft, too rigid, not good. But how about a violin? How do you get music out of this instrument? Do you know if there's no tension, it doesn't make sound. And if it's too tight, stuff starts popping and squeaking. But the right amount of tension allows music to be played. There's no music without tension. There, there is no safe descent when you're repelling without friction. Properly applied, these are the forces that help keep us safe and that direct things and make music in our lives. There's a tension in this passage. Uh, I, I want you to notice this. It says in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you. Does he say, if they slander you? Do you know that you right now, if you are really an honest and open Christian, are going to go into the world and offer help and you're going to get slapped? That's not if. That will happen because of who you say you are. You will be misunderstood. And yet you are called not to get angry, not to prove that you are right, not to lash back, not to in anger try to set up different communities that will prove your position you are to serve so that when they slap at you, what do you do? You serve them. And it says so that in the day that they meet God, they'll say, you know what? You're right. They were the best of us. They served. There's a tension there. If we don't accept this tension, we're going to slip from three things it says in this passage. It says, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's actually an expectation right there, that you will understand your position. Do you know that this earth is not your home, Christian? Okay? When you get angry about everything that's going on here, what you are saying is this earth is my home. When you are focused on heaven but serving earth and your eyes are useful and you are a benefit to society, it's because you are a pilgrim that is passing through. If you do not allow this tension to exist, you will forget that you're a sojourner and you will settle down and become a citizen and at that point, your desires are in conflict. You will begin to fight for this citizenship. You're a sojourner. That's what Scripture says. You are a resident alien. In other words, you know the language. You care about the people. You see value in the location. But you are passing through. Your goal is to leave a beneficial trail that points to the fact that you are from a different city. You are from a different location. You are a heaven-bound saint. Bless them, but don't make your encampment permanent. If you don't accept the tension, you will slip from self-care into sin. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. What is the lust, that strong desire? The strong desire is to take in all the goods that are down here and make it about me. Jesus took time, it says, at different moments that he went away by himself to be alone. I think at that point he wanted to be by himself, all right? Those words all stacked up. But it was just one small moment in a life that was given to others. 
a moment where he stopped and got re, um, he, he's met with the Father and got re-energized by that moment so he could go back into a life of service. Always those moments were interrupted. But we have taken self-care to a new level, folks. We've made it all about whether or not we are happy. We are settled. Whether or not we have fanned the flame of our own lives. Now we need to be careful not to just throw away health, not to just throw away what it means to be settled. You need to be uh, wise about your life, but I will say this. When our self-care turns into lusts and things that will destroy us, our soul gets impacted, he says. They wage war against your soul. In other words, you are doing things that you know are getting in the way of your relationship with God. You are doing things that you know are removing you from the race. You are doing things that you know are offending your own conscience. And you're going to swing at somebody else if they say, hey, what are you doing about this? But the only reason you're going to swing at them or get irritated is because in your own soul there's an irritation. And I just want you to take a moment. What is that? What is that thing that between you and God you participated in you say, you know what? My soul's actually agitated each time I do this, see this, participate with these. He says, I'm begging you, stop it. There's a tension there. Your life is not your own, and these things will distract me. But finally, if we don't accept this tension, we'll slip from servanthood to security. You're going to get attacked. What you will do if you become a citizen and focus on the lust is you will say, you know what, it's not worth the abuse. How can I keep my head down or how can I plant my flag and angrily say I'm right so that I'll avoid suffering, so that I'll get people in the right camp, so that I won't have to deal with the problem. I don't want the tension. There was a thought experiment that was put out a short while ago. It said, uh, imagine that you're a 20-year-old male and you see a river that's rushing by you and all of a sudden in the river you see a body, a white-haired body, and eventually you see that that's actually an individual, an elderly individual that is in need of help. What do you do? 23 atheists coming out of a convention were asked that question. Only four of them, after thinking about it in their mind, only four of them said it would be worth their time to save that person. Evolutionary biology goes against it. Uh, all of their rationality, they said we're worth more to society than that individual is and the chances are that we would die in the process. Their value system being skewed by their logic says that the person has to be evaluated based on their value. What God says is every single one of you are valuable. Do you know that? You have immense value. And you ask yourself, well, who's going to give their life for others? Anybody got like a top contender? Anybody set the pace for us? Who's going to go into squalor? Who is going to give their life for others? What we're asking you to do is not something that's, that's outside of Christianity or some new idea. This is what Jesus represents. He gave his life for us. If we don't allow this tension to remain, our message will get lost. What we're asking you to do this year is to embrace the tension of servanthood. We want you to make it about more than celebration, but we can truly celebrate when we see servants among us who are living out the gospel in such a way that the gospel has voice. Amen? 
And so what I want you to do is to stop being proud of hearing a story coming from somebody else. I want you to start living that story. Living that story. Be somebody that other people point to and say, look at the way that they selflessly serve. I want you to think about this just on your own. And this is a personal assignment, and uh, what I know with personal assignments, when there's no accountability with it, right, there's a majority of you may just throw this away. I'm going to ask you to consider this. Who is it right now that you know in your heart you are called to serve? Who is it that the Spirit of God has laid on your heart? Now, it may be in your family, it may be in our church, it may be outside of the faith. But there is somebody right now that you know, the Spirit of God has laid on your heart, you need to be selfless and go to them. Who is it? Your first assignment in following up to this is go to them this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Man, what a beautiful time this morning as we are listening to music, as we are responding to the truth of your word, as we are thinking about what kind of citizens we're going to be. And we pray, Father, that you would help us, you would energize us to reach out to a broken world and that the evidence would be the transformation in our own lives. Father, make us servants. Use us in a profound way. And today, even as we return tonight, I pray that we would be able to share with one another who it is that's been laid on our hearts, that we would pray for one another, that we would be effective in serving. But most of all, Father, help us to let go of the self-indulgence that has waylaid us for so long and help us to focus on what it means to be servants that look to you and your pleasure alone. Help us to live out those kind of lives, we pray in Christ's name, amen.